0: Good morning church. Good morning. Grace and peace to you from the Lord Jesus Christ. Welcome to this time of worship at Faith Community United Methodist. It's good to be with you in worship this morning. I'd encourage you to find the attendance pads that are in each of the pews, fill those out, pass them along to others worshiping beside you this morning. Uh, as you do that also take note of the uh, attend, of the announcement insert that is in your bulletin, a number of announcements in there Uh, We are uh, collecting items for our college students, uh, care packages for our college students, and uh, there's a collection box out in the Narthex, and that'll be there today and again next Sunday. So if you didn't bring your items today, you can uh, get them this week and bring them next Sunday. There's a list in the announcement there about uh, suggested items or some other things that you might uh, think that some college students might enjoy uh, getting delivered in a care package. We're getting ready for our church family night, uh, which is coming up at the end of the month, Sunday, October 30th at 5 p.m. is our church family night. Uh, just a time of fellowship uh, for all of our church family. That's, that's all of us. Uh, whether you have children or not, we like to, to get together and have a good time. So uh, pay attention to that announcement for family night. Uh, there are other announcements printed in the bulletin that you want to pay attention to. The uh, men of faith... Uh, uh, shower that's coming up, uh, baby shower, and uh, some some other things. So uh, take, take note of those items. And um, just one thing that I want to correct in the bulletin there is a mistake with the prayer hymn. Uh, the prayer hymn is Have Thine Own Way, Lord, but it is not the number that's printed there. Uh, it is 382. So I'll remind you of that. Uh, when we come to the prayer hymn, it will be number 382. We're going to uh, turn our attention to God as we Uh, worship him in spirit and in truth. Let us be in an attitude of
1: worship.
2: Please stand as you are able, with me for the call to worship. We gather to honor our covenant with God. We gather to worship the God who has covenanted with us. Our God, Our comes from One here. Open your eyes to meet God face to face. Open your ears to hear. God's instruction come to taste god's word which is sweeter than honey come to touch the reality of god's presence surely god will us and protect us we will walk with new understanding of truth please remain standing for the opening hymn love divine all loves excelling You may be seated. Please join with me in the opening prayer. Sow your seeds in our midst, O God, for we are prepared to receive what you offer. We want to know you and to bear fruit for your reign among us. We want to meditate on your law and keep your commandments. Draw us into the new covenant you have fashioned for us In Jesus Christ, so that we may fulfill our ministry. Amen. Can children and young ones come up and see me? Okay, come on up here and gather around, and I have a short message. I have a vocabulary lesson for today since it's our day off of school. We have a, a small lesson just to fill in. So I want to start by talking about promises. So is, has anybody ever made a promise to somebody? Raise your hand if you've made a promise to somebody. All right, now think hard. What what was that promise? I can, I promised I promised my wife that I would clean the room this week, actually. So there's, there's me admitting that I have to keep that promise this week. How about you guys? Does anybody want to volunteer to give an example of a promise? I'll
1: never draw on the wall again.
2: <laughs> never draw on the wall again. So you, that doesn't even take any more explaining. That happened. And I could tell you, Catherine has kept her promise. So, that leads me to the next thing. When someone makes a promise, do we expect, do we, do we expect them to keep it usually? Nod your head. if Yeah. So, I'm going to make you a promise. By the end of this children's moment, you will get a treat. Okay? And I'll, I'm going to keep that promise. Okay? Now, the, the vocabulary word is linked to the word promise. And you've already heard it a couple times. And you'll hear it another time. And that's the word promise. Covenant. Covenant is used in the Bible. It's a, good, it's a good word for you to know. And covenant basically means a big promise. It's not just any ordinary promise. It's a big promise. Now, God made a promise to his people um, a long time ago. His people were the people of Israel, and his promise was that he was going to keep them safe and be with them. Even if they didn't hold up their end of the bargain. He was going to keep his promise. Now the story today that you'll hear from Pastor is about Jeremiah. Jeremiah, Jeremiah was someone who would give God's message to his people, and one of his messages was that there is a big promise coming in the future. So a big it happened a long time ago, but Jeremiah told his people there was a big promise, and that promise was that he was going to forgive their sins and he was going to be with them each and every one of them. He was going to forgive their sins and he was going to be with each and every one of them. Can anybody guess what that big promise is or who that big promise is?
1: Jesus and God. Jesus and God.
2: Jesus. So Jeremiah kind of predicted and gave the message that coming in the future for the Israelites and then for us for everyone, that Jesus was the big promise. So let's, let's think about that as we hear the message, and let's have a short prayer right now. Jesus, thank you for being our big promise. Um, thank, and we thank the Lord for keeping his covenant, and we want to try to be more like you and, and meet our end of that covenant. Um, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen.
0: We're going to turn now to our prayer hymn, which, as I mentioned earlier, is number 382 in the hymnals. You can remain seated as we sing this. Number 382, have thine own way, Lord. Let us sing together. have thine own way lord that is our prayer this day that is our prayer every day we pray to you all the time lord that you would have your own way in our lives and yet how difficult it is lord for us to give up that control and to surrender to your spirit to your providence to surrender to your will Lord, ours keeps on creeping up and getting in the way. So many times we try to do it ourselves to make our own way. And we know, Lord, that whenever we do that, we cannot fulfill your will for us. So help us once again to surrender ourselves, to give ourselves over entirely to you. For you are a good and gracious God, you have made us, you have known us, you have loved us, and you have laid out a righteous path for us. Give us the faith simply to surrender and take the steps into which you lead us. We pray this for each one of us individually, and we pray this for our church as a whole as we continue to Strive to be faithful to you as we try to fulfill your ministry for us to this community Help us to be your agents of love and mercy To a hurting world Lord we pray for those who are Broken and suffering right now We pray for your peace to be upon them we pray for your Grace to bring healing bring comfort, bring help and resources to those in need, and remind us of ways in which we can be an answer to that prayer for others. Lord, we pray these things in the name of your Son, whom you sent to be our Savior and our Lord, as we offer to you now the prayer that he teaches us to pray together. Our Father, Amen. We continue to worship through the giving of our tithes and offerings as the ushers come to wait upon us. Please join me in the prayer of dedication. You have brought us to yourself, O Lord. You have given us the gift of faith. Your mercies toward us are more than we could ever hope to deserve. We stand in awe before you today, offering our gifts, our hearts, our abilities, and our worship. Come now, O Holy One, and make us fully your own, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. You may be seated.
2: Our scripture lesson comes from Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 27 through 34. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will sow the house of Israel and the house of Judah with the seed of man and the seed of beast. And it shall come to pass that as I have watched over them to pluck up and break down, to overthrow, destroy, and bring harm, so I will watch over them to build and to plant, declares the Lord. In those days they shall no longer say, The fathers have eaten sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge. But everyone shall die for his own iniquity. Each man who eats sour grapes, his teeth shall be set on edge. The New Covenant. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks, be Thanks be God. God. Amen.
0: It is said sometimes that those who do not learn from history are doomed to repeat it. I'm sure that there is some truth in that. It could be, though, that the problem runs deeper than that. Seems to me that the mistakes we make, both individually and as a society, are bigger than just a lack of knowledge and understanding. Even those who do know history, and understand well what has gone wrong in the past, are not thereby freed from making the same mistakes again. There seems to be something in our human nature that drives us often in the wrong direction. Our faith refers to this something as original sin. Original sin says that we are all born into a condition of sin. Sin is bigger than just the bad choices we make. It is a condition in which... We live and from which we are incapable of rescuing ourselves. We can't good choice our way to righteousness because sin holds sway over us. We can't behave our way into heaven because sin is a powerful force which influences our thoughts and actions in ways that we cannot control, even in ways that we don't even recognize until it's too late. The Bible doesn't use the expression original sin, but it definitely teaches the concept. The Bible tells us often of how often we deceive ourselves, how easily we are led astray. The Bible teaches that the heart is deceitful above all things, which is why telling someone who isn't already a fully formed Christian to follow your heart is about the worst advice you can give them. Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. Your deceitful heart says, put down the cross and chase after what you want. Anything that your heart desires, that is what you deserve in life. We all start off in this condition of sin, putting ourselves first before God and others. Some people have a a problem with this idea of original sin because they look at an adorable little newborn baby and they say, oh, he's so precious, how could you say he's guilty of sin? She's so beautiful. She's she's perfect. How could you say there's any sin in her? When you look at it that way, though, you're, you're thinking of sin as conscious choices that we make, bad things that we choose when we ought to know better. But that's not the point of original sin. Original sin is simply the reality that all of us start off in life wanting to be God. Every baby starts off in life putting herself or himself first. It's not a choice. That's just how we're made. That's how we're born. Anybody who who has ever lived with an infant for more than a few days knows that the baby's immediate desires take precedent over all other things. You need to feed me when I want to be fed. You need to burp me when I need to be burped. You better hold me when I want to be held and lay me down when I want to lie down. Don't wake me up when I want to sleep and don't you dare try to make me sleep when I want to play. And sometimes I might not need anything, but I'm just going to cry anyway to make sure that you don't pay attention to anything else but me. Now you can say that's just the survival instinct kicking in, that it's necessary, that it's natural. I agree. It's natural. Sin comes as naturally to us as breathing. That's the whole point. It's not about moral judgment. It's about being the center of my own universe. Being the center of my own universe is the most natural thing in the world for me. And yet, God wants God to be the center of my universe, which means at some point I have to step aside. In fact, I have to do more than just step aside. I actually have to die to myself so that I can live in God. That is the radical transformation that takes place in the heart of a Christian. That is the new life, the the new birth that comes about when we cease to be the center of our own world and allow Christ to take his rightful place on the throne. Apart from this, we are still living in our natural state, still dwelling in our sin, even if we are faithful, well-meaning people. That is the history that the Old Testament shows us over and over again. That is the history that we are doomed to repeat as long as we are in that state of sin, even if we know the history, even if we have learned the lessons of the past, sin still draws us back in. I want to read for you a passage from the last chapter of Joshua. This is after God has delivered the people of Of the covenant into the promised land and they are ready to settle down to their inheritance now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord and if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord choose this day whom you will serve whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Then the people answered, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods, for it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, and who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the the way that we went, and among all the peoples through whom we passed And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. But Joshua said to the people, you are not able to serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do harm and consume you after having done you good. And the people said to Joshua, no, but we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said to the people, you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses. He said, then put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, the Lord, our God, will, we will serve and his voice we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and put in place statutes and rules for them at Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God. And he took a large stone and set it up there under the terebinth that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to all the people, behold, this stone shall be a witness against us, for it has heard all the words of the Lord that he spoke to us. Therefore, it shall be a witness against you, lest you deal falsely with your God. There are four things in that passage that help set our context for today. First, it refers to a covenant between God and God's people. God had established a covenant with Abraham centuries ago, and now all this time later, as God had demonstrated his faithfulness to that covenant in a direct and a powerful way, this new generation was being invited to take up their part in that covenant. It wasn't enough for them simply to be descendants of Abraham. They had to commit to living into that covenant, living into their end of the bargain, being fully devoted to God. Secondly, this faithfulness on their part required that they turn away from the mistakes and failures of previous generations. Put away the gods that your fathers served, Joshua told them. For generations, God's people had neglected their end of the covenant. They had failed to be faithful to God alone. They had worshipped the gods of Egypt and the gods of other lands. This new generation was now being told, you can't get away with that anymore. Pay attention to history. Learn from the mistakes of the past. Thirdly, when presented with this challenge, the people said, yes, this is what we'll do. We will set aside all other gods. We will be faithful to the Lord alone and they really meant it. This isn't a case of them saying what they thought Joshua wanted to hear. They really intended to put God first, to worship only Him, to to put all of their sin behind them, to move on in righteousness. They, They had witnessed the mistakes of their parents. They had witnessed the power of God. They had learned from their history, and they were now ready to be God's people. And finally, Joshua warned them that they were calling down a curse upon themselves if they failed to remain true to this commitment they were making. Again, they said, yes, we understand. We know what we're saying. We know the expectations. We understand the consequences. We've got this. They didn't got this. You know that it wasn't long at all until they were mixing their beliefs and their worship with the beliefs and worship that was already in the land before they got there. They still worshiped the Lord, but but they didn't worship only the Lord. They, They tried to hedge their bets to play all sides. It doesn't work that way. That's not the faithfulness that God demands. But it is the kind of lifestyle that is inevitable for someone who is still mired in sin. That first covenant gave them the Word of God, but it didn't yet give them the power of the Holy Spirit. The rest of the Old Testament is the history of God rescuing His people from the consequences of their sin, and God's people claiming to have learned their lesson and recommitting themselves to the Lord, and then not too long after, falling away once again, suffering even more devastating consequences, Eventually, God rescues them again, and the cycle repeats all over. In our passage for today, Jeremiah quotes a saying that had become a a popular bit of street wisdom for the people of his day, similar to the saying that we have today, those who fail to learn from history are doomed to repeat it. The saying quoted by Jeremiah goes like this, The fathers have eaten sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge. The truth of that statement goes beyond just the idea of punishment. It's not just the idea that children get punished for the sins of their parents. There is some truth even to that. In the days of the exile, people who were just children at the time that the exile began spent their entire lifetime being punished for sins that had gone on for generations before they were even born. In our own day even, it happens that a parent can make a sinful choice perhaps committing some crime and getting sent to prison, perhaps committing adultery and causing the breakup of the family, perhaps falling in with a dangerous crowd and getting themselves killed. In all of these situations, it is the children who suffer. Children who did nothing deserving of punishment, but who suffer nonetheless for the sins of the parent. But the truth of the statement goes even farther than that. It is often true that children have a tendency to grow up and repeat the sins of their parents. Not in all cases, thank God, but all too often we fall into a cycle of sin. Those who are raised in abusive homes have a much higher likelihood of committing d- domestic violence themselves. Those who grow up around drugs have a much higher likelihood of becoming addicts. Those whose parents abuse the system grow up learning that that's the way to get by. The fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge, not just in terms of punishment for one particular sinful act, but because of a pattern that is set, and the sin that takes hold from one generation to the next, and on and on it goes. This has been true ever since the fall of humankind. The Hebrew people knew where their forefathers and foremothers had gone wrong in the past and yet somehow they manage to fall into the very same sins again and again and again, one generation after another. That's why it's called original sin, because it's too ingrained in us for us to fight our way free. We're born into it. It's part of who we are. But before I depress you too much with that, if I haven't already, here's the interesting thing that Jeremiah has to say about that proverb. Jeremiah does not quote that proverb and say, this is the way it is and the way it always must be. Actually, Jeremiah says the opposite of that. Jeremiah says, in those days, they shall no longer say, the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. Jeremiah is prophesying a day in which this foothold of sin will be washed away. When when this cycle of apostasy will be brought to an end. Jeremiah is saying there will come a time when this curse will be broken. When God's people will no longer be bound by the grasp and the power of sin. Listen to how he describes that day. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband. But this is the covenant that I will make. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. They shall all know me, from the least of them To the greatest, declares the Lord. This new covenant that Jeremiah prophesied is the covenant that was inaugurated into the world through the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus himself, when he was instituting the Lord's Supper, said, this is my blood of the new covenant. The part of the Bible that describes Jesus in the Christian faith, the New Testament. New Testament is another way of saying new covenant. In other words, all that Jeremiah prophesied about the new covenant is fulfilled in Jesus. We don't often acknowledge the full implication of what that means. Consider from Jeremiah 31, the first thing that God declares about this new covenant it will not be like the first covenant, which God's people broke over and over again because well, although they knew what God required of them, still they were mired in sin. No, the new covenant will break that curse. It, it will end that cycle of failure. It will terminate that history of sin. We sell the new covenant terribly short when we act as if Christians are just as hopelessly mired in sin as everybody else. That is not at all what the Bible says. I will put my law within them, is what God says. I will write it on their hearts, is what God promises. All the way back to the time of Moses, when God first delivered the law to his people, he held out this promise that one day he would empower them to live into this relationship to which he was calling them. Deuteronomy 30, verse 6 says, And the Lord God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. He, He doesn't say so that you may want to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul but still not be able to. He also doesn't say so that you can if you try really, really hard. This doesn't have anything to do with you trying. It's not about your strength or your willpower or your resolve. It has nothing to do with your merit whatsoever. It is all about God. By God's own grace, bringing it to pass. God will circumcise your heart so that you will love the Lord your God just as he That's why Jesus talks about the necessity of the new birth. That's why He says that for those who are in Him, they are a new creation. Because in Jesus, we are given a fresh start. In In Jesus, that cycle of failure is ended. In Jesus, that curse of sin is broken. Jesus reverses the curse of original sin brought about by Adam so that in the new birth, we are given a truly new life. This is what was prophesied again and again in the Old Testament. Ezekiel eleven nineteen 19 to 20. And I will give them one heart and a new spirit I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them. And they shall be my people and I will be their God. Again, Ezekiel 36, 26 to 27. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. God makes this promise throughout the Old Testament that he will make it come to pass. That He will remove our deadened, hardened hearts that drive us to sin. That He will give us a spiritual heart transplant. He will place a new spirit within us. The Holy Spirit. And that new spirit, that Holy Spirit will drive us to God and God's ways. Just as surely as that old hardened heart drove us away. You see, when Jeremiah said that the heart is deceitful above all things. He was talking about our natural desires, our fallen and sin-filled desires that take over and drive us to make the same mistakes and fall into the same sins over and over again, no matter how hard we try to get it right, no matter how much we want to do better. And we cannot escape that curse by our free will or our power. But praise God, He promises to deliver us from that curse by His choice and by His power. He promises to remove that sin-filled heart and replace it with His Holy Spirit. That means that for those who are in Christ, we are given a truly fresh start, a new beginning. We are no longer trapped by the bad examples that have gone before us and the ones that still surround us. We may have been born into a world of bad examples, but that is no excuse for those who have died to self and been born in Christ. We have been given the perfect example in Jesus. And more than the perfect example, we have been given the same Holy Spirit by which we might live in union with Him. We may have been born into original sin under the power and grasp of sin, but even that is no excuse. Jesus has washed away our sin, not just the guilt and the punishment brought on by sin, but even its very power if we will but surrender ourselves to him. And again, this is not about me being able to avoid sinning and making good choices because I'm so righteous. I have no righteousness of my own, only what comes to me from the righteousness of Jesus Christ. As the Apostle Paul said, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. What did God say in Ezekiel 36? I will put my spirit in you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. I will cause you to live righteously. God will do it in you. It's not your willpower. It's not your righteousness. You will fail every time of that. But not God. Not God. God will never fail. And He is the one to do it. Your part is simply to surrender yourself to His Spirit. Get yourself out of the way. What did God say in Deuteronomy 30? The Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Not because you're better at loving God than anyone else. Not because you've learned the lessons that every generation before you failed to learn. But because God will do it in you and for you. God will soften your heart and fill it with His perfect love. In Jesus Christ, God will wash away all of your sin and replace it with the righteousness of Christ. What did God say in Jeremiah 31? Behold, the day is coming when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Jacob. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know Me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. Now, I don't know if you consider yourself the least or the greatest or somewhere in between, but no matter where you think you are, you are in there somewhere. From the least of them to the greatest. You are in that promise. God is speaking to you. As I was looking up quotes about learning from history and repeating history, I came across one that I found particularly interesting and revealing. It comes from Machiavelli, of all people. He said, whoever wishes to foresee the future must consult the past. For human events ever resemble those of preceding times that arises from the fact that they are produced by men who ever have been and ever shall be animated by the same passions, and thus they necessarily have the same results. What he's saying is that history is bound to repeat itself because it always gets played out by people who are driven by the same desires that they have always been driven by and always will be. For the most part, that's true. Most of the Old Testament seems to bear that out, that God's people, even though they wanted to do better and to live more faithfully than previous generations, still they were driven by the same passions, still they were under that same curse of sin, and therefore they repeated the sins of their fathers and mothers. But here's the one reason that quote is not entirely truthful. The one place where it is in fact nullified by the new covenant, by Jesus Christ, The words, and ever shall be. The idea that people will always, no matter what, without exception, that they will always be animated by the same passions, bound by the same sinful curse. No, proclaims the gospel of Jesus Christ. No, proclaims the witness of scripture. No, proclaims the promise of God. I will put a new and a right spirit within them. I will remove their heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh. I will put my law within them and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. You will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. I will cause you to walk in my statue. That, that is the passion which animates those who have been born anew in Christ. That is the promise given to all who will die to self so that they might live in Christ. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. Do not, do not sell your Savior Do not fall for that line that you are trapped by your past, that you are powerless against that generational curse, that your future is already predetermined by your history. Do not buy into the lie that all you can hope for in this life is to wallow helplessly in your sin until God comes and takes you out of this world. That is the devil whispering in your ear to keep you from listening to God. The Word of God says otherwise. The Word of God promises to break that curse and to set you free to perfect love. Receive it now. Receive the truth. Receive the blessing. Receive that victory in Christ that He has already won on the cross and in the empty grave. That power of resurrection, that promise of rebirth, of new life. The righteousness of Christ. And the gift of the Holy Spirit, may they be ours, now and forevermore. Amen. I invite you to stand as you are able for our closing hymn, which is number 370 in the hymnals, Victory in Jesus. Please be seated. And know that we are people of the new covenant. He has placed a new and right spirit within us. So go from this place now, living in his glory and by his power, in the name of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.